was just fantastic. I tell you, I, I already knew that some of those folks were full of hot air, but I did not know they could play like that. It wasn't that great. I'm excited to see that orchestra come together. It's been a, a, a long labor of love. Dwayne's been working hard on that, and, and uh, what, a, what a blessing to have them here with us today. It's great to see that materialize and come together. Well, you, you know, sometimes we hear things that are harsh, and then uh, we later find out that what seemed harsh at first was actually meant for our good. Years ago when I moved to Atlanta, I, you know, one of the things when you move, you have to find new doctors. I mean, there's all these things you got to find, new mechanic, everything. So anyway, so I, I moved to Atlanta and uh, I got sick and I didn't have a doctor. And so I went kind of scrounging around and, and uh, I called every good doctor and they were booked up for six months. And so I found some guy that was just, his schedule was wide open and uh, should have been a clue there. But anyway... They could see me right away, so I went in, uh, and I saw this doc, and uh, he asked me some questions and uh, said some things uh, about my, my weight, and I don't know if anybody's ever commented on your weight before, but anyway, I'd had a problem with my, with my sciatic nerve, and I went in, and, and I, said, I said, doc, I said, you know, uh, this happens about every six months, and I said, in North Carolina, they gave me this steroid pack, and I said, it just works great. And he looked at me and he said, yep. He said, that's, that's exactly the first line of treatment. He said, but the problem with steroid packs increases appetite and you're already way overweight. And so we're not, we're not going to do that today. So we're going to give you a muscle relaxer instead. So anyway, so I just kind of let that roll off. And I was sitting there and he's writing in his little chart. And I looked over and I said, Doc, you know, uh, I understand that muscle relaxers probably help muscles relax. And, and, you know, this nerve slip back in and things will get better. But... Uh, they're, they're, they're really treating the symptoms. I said, there's got to be like a, a root cause because this keeps reoccurring. And he stopped writing and he looked up and he looked over at me and he says, well, yeah, there's a root cause. He says, look at you. He said, you got that big old gut that just pulls on your back all day. He said, you don't work out, so your back muscles are weak. He says, I'm shocked this just happens every six months, to be honest. So that's, I didn't ask any more questions after that. But anyway, so that was my experience with the doc. So a few months later, I had to go back, went back, decided to go back to the same doc. But you, you know what I found out? I started getting serious about trying to lose some weight and, and be healthier and everything. And I found out that when I started trying to do something, he was the most patient, caring doctor. He would answer question after question and, and was so gracious. And, and I told him, I said, Doc, you know, you were a little harsh the last time I was here. And he said, well, he said, I'm sorry if I offended you. He said, but I just thought you needed a little kick in the pants to get going. You know, sometimes what seems harsh up front is really meant for our, for our good. If you read the book of Amos, the first eight chapters, well, first eight and a half, really, are just a blistering message against the nation of Israel. But we get to the last part of the book, and we see that God's purpose in confronting them about their sin was not to drive them away, but to draw them near. Do you know the same is true for us today? The reason that God confronts us about our sin is so that we might repent and we might come to know every good thing that he has for us. And in the last part of Amos, chapter 9, where we're going to be at today, verses 11 through 15, we see three specific areas where God had made promises to Israel. And, and these are promises not just to Israel, but promises to us as well and the reason that God confronts us about our sin is because the only way to receive these promises is to confess our sin and repent of it so that we might then receive 
what God has in store for us. Amos chapter 9, beginning in verse 11, is where we're going to begin. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read this together? Amos chapter 9, beginning in verse 11. The Bible says, In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray today that you'd help us to hear the message that you have for us. I pray that we might be able to understand what was taking in place in Israel and why you gave the rebukes and why you gave these promises. And Father, when we have heard from you, may we respond in truth and sincerity. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Do you know that in the Bible and in this passage that we just read, but it's not the only place, but in the Bible, God has promised to restore his people. Well, the Bible tells us about a time when the rule of God will be absolutely irresistible. In verse 11, notice what he says here. He says, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. Well, when he talks here about the booth of David, uh, King David had been the head of this dynasty. God had promised that he was going to establish David's throne and he was going to establish it forever. And when he's talking about the booth of David, uh, booth is more kind of like we think about a, a large tent. And so I don't know if you've ever seen some of the Civil War photos, but there's some, there's some pretty iconic uh, photos of, of General Lee and then General Grant with the Union kind of outside that command tent with the different generals standing around them. And those, those, uh, those large tents where they would go in and they would have their meetings, that, that's what we need to think of when we think about the booth of David. That the king would have his, his uh, tent, and it's probably, probably rather elaborate, but it's still a tent. And it would be the, the command post, if you will, for the battle. And so the Bible talks about here that the booth of David, that is fallen. The image is of one of somebody who is out on the battlefield and things are not going well in the battle, and they begin to look back for guidance and see that the king's command tent even has fallen. It's a picture of all who are being lost. And for many in the days of Amos, for them they saw no way that the kingdom and dynasty of David would be restored and how the promises of God would be fulfilled. But God says that he is going to keep his promise. He is going to raise up the booth of David. And so he did. Because God's promise to David was not ultimately about an earthly kingdom. But it was about an eternal kingdom. And the one that would sit upon the throne of David would be Jesus Christ himself. 
Zechariah 9, verses 9 through 10. Listen as the prophet Zechariah speaks about this. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteousness, righteous and having salvation is he. Now I want you to listen to this description here. And remember, this is the Old Testament before the coming of Christ. And it says, Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Well, who does that sound like? Do you remember how Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? He entered on a donkey. He entered humbly. Zechariah talked about the one that would, that would come. And it says in verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. And he, his rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Well, what the Bible is telling us here through Amos and through Zechariah is that God is not finished with David. And that's the amazing thing about God. When we look around and we don't see any way out, God is not yet finished. And God had not finished with the kingdom of David. God was going to send his son and he foretold about a time when the son would come in righteousness with salvation in his hand and he would enter on a donkey. And so did Jesus. And then he speaks to the extent of the kingdom when he says, he shall, His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. The kingdom of David had its limits, but the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ knows no limitations. And God has accomplished his promises through his son, Jesus Christ, and he is still in the process of accomplishing his promises. Do you notice the very first phrase in this passage in Amos? It says, in that day. You see, Amos was calling them to look forward in future hope and expectation of what God was going to do. And that's the thing about God. He calls us in faith to look forward to what he is going to do. So many times in life, I, I wonder if we would perhaps experience more of the power of God if we would spend less time making things happen and more time expectantly waiting to see the hand of God move in our life. As Amos spoke to the people, the remnant who were faithful even in the days of unfaithfulness in his lifetime. He said, in that day. You see, you and I, we may look around at the world. And I know that, that all over America, churches are in decline. It's not just here in our area. Churches everywhere in America are in decline. In fact, Hawaii is the only state in the United States where Christianity is growing. And we look around the world and we see other places where it's dark and dim. And you may be wondering, what is God doing in the world? When we look around our own community, we see things that are so discouraging. We see people that are addicted to drugs and it's, it's overtaking their life. And it's so rampant and widespread that it's affecting society and the quality of life for everybody. We see divorce rates skyrocketing. Last year, I believe it was, statistically, it was safer to serve active duty in the United States military than it was to attend a public high school in the U.S. Proportionately, more students died attending class than soldiers died 
in the U.S. military in battle. Sometimes we look around and it's a dark, dim place, and you may not wonder how is God ever going to accomplish his promises? Aren't things just getting worse all the time? Well, I want you to understand this is not the first time in human history when things have been dark. And God called his people to look forward to a time because God is doing something that is bigger than the second in which we live. It's bigger in the lifetime in which we live. And Amos told the people who were faithful, he said, on that day, none of them would live to see Jesus Christ come on the coal. But if they believed, they would experience the eternal life that would come from looking forward in faith and trusting. God has promised to redeem his people. He said, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 speaks to the extent of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We may live in a time now where people disbelieve, where people mock God. But the Bible says that one day, God's patience and God's time of waiting for people to come to repentance is going to be over. And in that day... Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because David's dynasty may have had his limitations here on earth, but the Lord's dynasty has absolutely no limitation. And so God says, I will raise up the booth of David. Do you know that the kingdom of God includes all people who believe in him? Not just those who were born children of Abraham. And so notice what it says in verse 12. It says that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all nations who are called by my name. What Edom, this is this is not this is not the nation of Israel. And but what does he say? There's a remnant. In the Old Testament, the remnant refers to those who are faithful in the time of unfaithfulness. The remnant is a small group of people that still believe. And at every time in history, no matter how corrupt, how perverse, how dark. The culture became, there was always a remnant of people who believed and trusted in God. And so we look at the Old Testament. We think about some of the prophets who were faithful in a time of unfaithfulness. They were faithful when no one else was. And then we come to the New Testament. We think about the Pharisees just consumed with legalism and guided by self-righteousness. And the Sadducees, who are corrupt to the core, only concerned with political power and wealth. And yet, in this moment, we see Jesus is brought to the temple to be presented. And the Bible tells us about a man there named Simeon, who was waiting for the Lord. And there was another lady there, named Anna, who was waiting for the Lord. You see, in every time, no matter how dark it became, there were always people who were faithful and who were waiting for the Lord. And what God is calling us to is God is calling us to believe, whether anyone else in our family, our community, 
or even our church for that matter, believes. He's calling us to be a remnant of people. And it doesn't matter whether you were born a Jew or born into Israel because God is calling people from all the nations. And so he says, and all the nations who are called by my name. Acts 15 tells us about in the early church when they struggled to understand that God had a purpose for the Gentiles. And in this, this struggle, as the disciples gathered together and debated about what to do with the Gentiles that were coming to faith, they appealed to the prophet Amos. And they saw in the passage that we're studying today God's promise to include the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 15, verses 7 through 15, it tells us about this. And it says, and after there had been much debate, and the debate was about what do we do with Gentiles that are coming to faith. And so it says, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? What he's talking about is the yoke of the law. What were they to do with Gentiles? Were they to keep all the Old Testament law and all the Old Testament customs? And Peter says, you know that God called me to preach to them, and I preached to them, and they believed. And when they believed, they received the Holy Spirit just as you and I. And so he says, so why should we put the law upon them? And so the Bible says here in verse 11, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they had finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, and then he quotes our passage today from Amos that all nations who are called by his name now if you're here today and you're a Jew this may not have the same impact for you but but I'm not aware of any Jews in my family lineage and so I'm so thankful that God's promise is not just to the Jews but it's to all who will believe in his name and respond to him. The kingdom of God includes all people who believe in him. In the last part of verse 12, I want us to notice something here. It's so important to understand who it is that does the work. The Bible says here that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, and listen to this, declares the Lord who does this. You see, it is the Lord who builds his kingdom there's been a lot of people that have poured into my life when I was a child there were people in my community that that picked me up and took me to church when my parents had to work when I went to vacation Bible school they were they were sweet kind folks they encouraged me and when I got older 
there were pastors and evangelists that confronted me with the reality of the gospel. Later, as I began to sense that God was calling me to the ministry, there were, there were godly people who modeled for me what ministry meant and who held me accountable for my calling. There's no doubt that God has used many people in my life. And I suspect it's all of you here today because God has used people in your life. You have your own story to tell about parents or friends or Sunday school teachers or pastors who at a moment in your life spoke truth to you. But we don't want everyone to confuse the instrument with the master. It is God who does the work. The Bible says it is the Lord who does this. And so God is building our king, the, his kingdom, and he wants to use us to do this. But it's his kingdom, and it's his work, and we are the instrument in his hands. Do you know that the Lord has promised abundance for his people? Look in verses 13 through 14. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. Well, God describes a time of great abundance here. It says the plowman shall overtake the reaper. What that means is that there's going to be such a great harvest is that they're still going to be trying to bring in one harvest when it's time to plant the next harvest. It's obviously an exaggeration, but the point is a time of abundance. Joshua, as he went in and was one of those original spies that went in to spy out the promised land. In Numbers 14.8, listen to what he says. He says, if the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us and listen to the description. A land that flows with milk and honey. So the Bible here describes a time of great abundance. You say, well, when was this fulfilled? Well, there's been a lot of times when God's people have experienced prosperity, but that, I don't believe that's what God is talking about. When the Bible talks about here this great grape harvest, uh, it's got a, about as much to do with grapes as the bucket had to do with the living water that Jesus offered the woman in the well in John chapter 4. God is not talking about literal food. He's not talking about a little harvest. He's talking about the, the things that we need. We're going to have in great abundance. You know, the Bible portrays for us what's going to happen one day when we get to heaven. It talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. This beautiful image of fellowship with God that is in abundance and is unhindered. You see, the reality is, is that you and I, we honestly don't even know what we need. But what God has in store for us is greater than anything that we can imagine. And as he spoke to the nation of Israel and he talked to them about this, this abundance that would take place, it looks forward to, you remember how he began this? In that day. We may be living in a time now that we don't feel so prosperous. 
But I want you to understand that regardless of how much money you have or which neighborhood you live in, if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are rich beyond measure. And what awaits us is beyond our comprehension. The Lord has promised here to restore his people, and so he will. He'll restore us one day. And the Lord has promised abundance to his people. But I want you to notice he also promises security. The Bible says here in verse 15, the last verse of this passage, he says, I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. You remember that Amos is speaking to people that are going to be carried off into exile. The, the northern kingdom would be carried off by the Assyrians. And not only would they be carried off, but as a nation, they, they, would, they, would, never, they would never return. Individuals would return and they would, they would intermarry. And that's where the Samaritans came from. But the nation of Israel would never return to its power and to its prominence. The southern kingdom of Judah, they would be carried off by Babylon. They would return, but the, but the northern kingdom would be absolutely decimated by the Assyrian Empire. And the Bible says here, I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I've given them, says the Lord your God. You see, the promised land is a picture of the ultimate promise of God, which is eternity with him. In heaven. Jesus said it this way in John 10 28. He said, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Friend, when we come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and put our complete faith and trust in Him, not only is God able to redeem everything in our life that is broken, and distorted and corrupted by sin. But God is able to give us all that we need in great abundance. And God is able to give us eternal security. You see, my hope of eternal life is not dependent upon my ability. And my hope of eternal life is not dependent upon God winning some showdown with Satan that I don't know how it's going to turn out. We serve a king, a God, whose knowledge and power is absolutely unlimited. And he is able to keep his promises. And so when Jesus says that he gives us eternal life, he just doesn't give us a wish of eternal life. It's a certain hope of eternal life. And so that's why it says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The book of Amos, and we looked at the early part, and then we've, we've moved to the end here. There's much more in these nine chapters where God confronts Israel about specific sins that they were committing. And we come to the end, these beautiful promises and this call to restoration. We see that God's purpose in confronting them about their sin was to draw them to repentance and to give them life. And the same is true for you, friend. God's hope for you is for you to have eternal life. 
He wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to be restored. He wants you to have a purpose in life. I want you to understand this. It may not seem like it to you sometimes if you're constantly reading things and hearing things about the sin in your life, but God is on your side. That's why he sent his son to die in your place so that you and I could be forgiven and so that we could be saved. When we think about Old Testament prophecy, if you ask the average person today what's a prophet, they say, well, it's somebody that predicts the future. But that's only half true. You see, the role of the prophets was not necessarily to predict the future, although every once in a while they made certain predictions about the future. The role of the prophet more often was to point out where the present course of life was leading. With the hope that people would change their present course and therefore never go where they were currently headed. The same is true for us today. You see, God sent Amos the prophet to warn Israel so that they might avoid being carried off into exile. And God sent the promise Amos to give hope to those few, that remnant that still believed, even in a time of unbelief. And the reason that the Bible tells us about hell is so that we could avoid it. The reason the Bible tells us about that day, that great day of God's judgment, is so that we can stand. God, God is on your side. And he speaks truth into our lives about who we are so that we might confess our sin and experience all of his promises. Because God's promises, they are as amazing as his grace. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd help us to believe and help us to trust. I pray that that if we never see the return of the Lord Jesus in our lifetime, I pray that we might go to the grave in expectation of his return. And Father, I pray if there's any person here that does not believe, I pray that you give them faith and that you draw them unto yourself. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You know these promises that God made to Israel they were, they were for those in Israel that would believe and trust in him. And you see, when Jesus said he gives us eternal life, he is offering eternal life, but it's up to us to receive it and accept it. And so I want to ask you today, has there ever been a time in your life that you made the decision to stop trusting in yourself, stop trying to earn your way to heaven, and just believe and trust in Jesus Christ? And if that's never taken place in your life, I want you to understand that one decision today could change your future for all eternity. If you were to pray right now and talk to God, he would hear you and he would answer your prayer. The reason that he tells us about what is to come is so that we might avoid the bad that is to come and receive the good promises of God. See, God doesn't want you to go to hell, even though all of us deserve it. But Jesus came and he died in our place so that we might receive what he deserves. And that's eternity in heaven. So friend, if you have never received this gift, I want to encourage you right now. Would you just pray? You can pray by yourself there in your pew or you can come and I can pray with you. It doesn't matter where you are, who's with you. What matters is that you pray to the God who's able to save you. And he will. 
Maybe you're here today and you've been saved, but you just don't live like it. If God has changed our heart, it should change our life. And so if there's something in your life today that's keeping you from being an instrument, it's destroying your testimony, it's destroying your relationship with God. Would you just confess that to him as sin or repent of it? Because when God saved you, he was not finished with you. He still has a purpose for your life. But it's up to us whether we'll respond to him or not and receive this. So friend, whatever you need to do to be at peace with God, let's do it now as we sing. Let's stand together.